Yeah, I remember we talked about the original versus the reboot slash sequel. And it was really, really hard for me to not get myself canceled by all the fucking horror nerds because I like the reboot and sequel better of Evil Dead. So It's my favorite one. I I Um, was talking about how they show up with pitchforks for me. And that's why I don't have a solo thing of where I just critique scripts of horror films. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just the scripts. <laughs> Movies that haven't happened or like B-sides. Need more whiskey. Yeah, this is helpful because I haven't, I haven't done this. I haven't done the only talking thing in six months. Yeah. Well, welcome back. So this week, everyone, just to let you know, Nicole has been possessed by a succubus demon, so we're keeping our distance right now until she figures that out. But what that does mean is that we get to have the Arab bisexual special. I am joined by friend of the pod, great person, cartoonist, narrative designer, Vic Priano. And slightly obsessed with any movie that involves teenage girls getting mad. (laughs) Yeah, it's fantastic, right? So glad to have you here so stoked on this we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a minute and i'm so glad it's this movie i love this movie (laughs) it's so fun this movie's so much fun why another thing about the movie is why aren't there any butts oh it's because it would focus too much on boys yeah yeah a lot of titty not a lot of booty think of it as the nightwing like scenario where right yeah I feel that. You can explain that scenario, though. I know what you mean, but not everyone is as well-versed as you, me, and exactly one of our listeners and past guests in Nightwing. So the biggest thing about Dick Grayson, and also like Bobby Drake, and plenty of other characters in the comic universes, there's the queer gaze on top of trying to make the readership feel more identified and seen in right. a balancing of objectification met with just appreciation. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I feel as though Dick Grayson, the less problematic Batman, deserves all of the love for that. <laughs> he does. And for that ass. You could bounce a quarter off that. It's it's the gymnastics. <laughs> ah, gymnasts. Good luck to all of you. This is what I get to do. This is what goes into the podcast. Exciting. There's like a I said, lot of me is, doing that. This is new in, in like three <laughs> different ways because I really haven't done it in like half a year. So I'm like, oh, this is uh, strange to hear my own voice. Yeah, I uh, I do it once a week. <laughs> so you're all warmed up. So you're at least not not being like you're being a dumb bitch. Look, but... I'm always a dumb bitch. That's my whole brand. <laughs> I'm like nervous that I'm like in my mind, I'm like, I just got off depression. And I'm like, oh, am I wasting your time by my Nah, nah, nerves are nerves are welcome on this podcast. Nerves of Beal. Nerves of Steel. At least liquid steel. And I meant Jessica Beal. Oh. Nerves of Beal. Nerves of Beal, got you. Ah. And so I was also very vocal about eh, not everything needs to be remade. Some of the originals are great. Uh let the right one in. Did not necessarily need a remake, especially it didn't. since it added a whole layer of just cis gendered erasure right? to the entire film it's a that film's a trans narrative and we did cover that when we talked about it yeah. but it's, a, it's it's a trans and queer narrative up and down and it and does all the things that sleepaway camp could have done but also fucks it up the exact same yeah, way in the end and i'm like yeah. oh just trauma oh, man or you could have made like a survival angle to that you could have just been like 
oh, this happened because it, they just realized when they're, they're like, you know what? Being like, I'm, I'm not a boy. I had to be a boy when I was alive. This is fucking dumb. Right. <laughs> this yeah. is my second chance. This is yeah. my rebirth. This is my bat mitzvah. It's right. It's there. Oh, it would have been so nice. <laughs> but no. Yep. <laughs> it's like, there's also grooming involved. It's that movie. That it's, book is fantastic. Yes. Uh, the movie, even in the original form, is kind of like, you want to love it. I love it, but I have a lot of a lot of baggage with it. I have more baggage with it than I do Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, which is weird because it's both. I since we're both here, both Arab actors. Yep. Uh, things I grew up seeing, I'm like, well, that's kind of myself. Um, <laughs> that's me. <me-ish. laughs> oh, and the monster in this movie, fantastic. Yes. I wonder if it has anything to do with my nose. <laughs> And it always does to some extent. Like, uh, they always find a way of utilizing a down angle in one of the shots to villainize just, like, either the bridge or something. Yep. Especially in Sleepaway Camp with the child who's like, what? She must be, like, 13 at the time she goes yeah. and reprises the roles for the rest of the series mm. in general and literally becomes a babe. <laughs> oh, sh- oh, so my God. fine. So fine. And I'm just like, ah. Oh. You gotta, you gotta go, you gotta go and do me, do me dirty. And then there's, this just happens too often. <laughs> also with uh, Faruka Baltz. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yep, with uh, with The Craft. Another fantastic Arab actor who was villainized See? and shot from down angles. My brain the entire time didn't visibly view her as an Arabic actor. Right. Do do like when you're goth. It kind of obscures a lot of <laughs> a lot of the the readings for a lot of people, but it also emphasizes it in a lot of ways. And being any sort of any any POC and goth, there's a level of whitewashing that is inherent to the aesthetics of it. But in right. the last ten years, everyone's like, "Oh, that's kind of bullshit," and finding ways to make to get rid of the white supremacy of the goth imagery. Yeah, and the punk imagery. Like, yeah, I, that's why. We loved Green Room because Alia Shakat was allowed to be the Arab beautiful woman that she is yeah. in a punk band. Yeah. In a movie about Nazis. Yeah. It's fantastic. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> it's so good. That's like required watching on so many different levels. And, it's perfect. Oh God. There's really nothing wrong with Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Every single person who was on, um, every single person for the, uh, until about eight years ago, attempted first body. It's not horny. It's so sexual. I'm like, oh, God, are yeah. you awake? Yeah. <laughs> so that brings us back into the movie, which we should talk about, I guess. So it's so weird to do this without the structure that i'm used to it's not like no, it's not your why, fault that's, at all no, it's, that's why i was nervous i wasn't nervous because i had never shut up once you get me going but i right. was nervous because you're missing the binary of it right and i am 
non-binary. <laughs> so it's, I can't sit straight. <laughs> can't talk straight. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's yeah. like you have to carrot dangle. You're like, I think you can focus. Here's the thing. There's very little. There's very little straight about either of us right now, uh, and Nicole's not straight either. But <laughs> she at least knows how to order things. <laughs> what is order? Uh, I'm all chaos. I've never played a non-chaotic character in D and D. Did you have a MySpace? Oh yeah, of course okay. I did, and I so, learned how to code HTML from it. We all it. learned how to code HTML from MySpace, but we also learned how to be groomed by uh, men in their twenties in bands. You sure did, and that's a huge part of Jennifer's body. It sure is. Look at you with these segues. I love this. <laughs> See, this is the chaotic but coherent my, or collaborative version of one it. One of my favorite aspects of it is so I'm watching it with my partner, and they're like, "You know what, Adam Brody? It was Adam Brody, I think. It is Adam Brody." Adam Brody looks a lot like Brendan Urie, and I was like, "Hey, did you realize New Perspective was this track that played a few scenes ago, mm-hmm. and that's Panic at the Disco?" Yep. And there's a direct parallel between the bands that we grew up with on the MySpace era and around that way. I remember driving to middle school, listening to all those bands, and being yep. like, "Oh, this person's so cute," but none of them were toxic. None of the bands that were on it with the exception of maybe cute is what we aim for Ooh, and yep, that's just yep. we got creepy. stories on that but that's a different podcast. so so creepy um i remember actually when i was a teenager i went and met panic at the disco at a photo shoot and it was such a positive little moment for me because it's just adults that acknowledge they were kids they were still like 19 at the time yeah but like it was cool to be like able to be in a space with a band that wasn't being creepy yeah <laughs> Unlike Low Shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Low Shoulder, who is also a mockery of the killers. So it was supposed to be Brendan Flowers. Yeah. I. He I, is supposed to be Brendan Flowers. Which is uh, such an innocent choice. Right. Because they're. They. Uh, all their songs are about just world building and positivity and to have yeah. the iconography and like of... how much you love your wife and spending time in Tokyo you know like Read My Mind is a really positive it's song. Just a, this sweet band from Utah but the imagery of them can totally be exploited in a way and that's one of the vulnerabilities of, of all of it and the amount of times the repetition comes up with Jennifer just being like I'm a virgin, I'm a virgin, I'm a virgin, mm-hmm. and everyone knowing it's a lie. But also, they're all Mormons. Yes. Uh, or at least several of the bands of the Killers were raised yes. Mormon. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to play with that. Like, that was uh, Diablo Cody's. That I, was one of her inspirations for I it, had no was idea literally about watching that. the film, uh, the, sh- the music video for Mr. Brightside. Okay, because, like, Zeke picked up on that. I've seen this movie, like, at least a dozen times. Yeah, I'm around. I'm around that. I think I'm about a uh, about a solid ten. But I absolutely avoid that kind of stuff, which is the stuff that you really enjoy. Yeah, I'm all about the weird shit behind the behind the um, scenes. I'm like that with everything from like the 70s and 80s. Oh, of course. But with contemporary stuff, it like it doesn't sully the water. It just makes me feel as though I'm not. I'm not participating in it in the way that I should be. I get that, and that's because I'm. I, I won't even watch trailers anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I quit watching trailers a while back um, because of another good friend of the podcast and someone I've known since I was like 12 years old, Josh Tumblin. Hi, Josh. So I guess, God, Nicole, get back here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like one of, some of the biggest things for me were the cultural nuance of growing up in the MySpace era and having to deal with like just everything from grooming to feeling like the pick me mentality is such a positive thing to do Mm -hmm. and i never grew up in a small town but the way that they managed 
to world build the small town was really fantastic. It was really well done. It's in it's set in Minnesota, which I found out last night. I just never realized that it was set in Minnesota. And then one of another good friend of the podcast and past guest, Matt Reich, is from a small town in Minnesota. And I wish I could like just talk to him about that aspect alone of like, is this accurate? <laughs> the one like roadhouse like i got twin peaks vibes from it because of like that one roadhouse that they go to it's also the lighting yeah and the set design especially for that scene yeah so that actually brings us to production which i guess we should do so <laughs> i guess i should talk about who made this film because that's my thing so as we've mentioned already this was written by diablo cody who when she started writing this film had just won an oscar for juno or was about to win an Oscar for Juno. She was about. She was in the Oscar range for writing Juno, with uh, frequent writing partner and producer Jason Reitman. But this was her script alone. This was a hundred percent her. She just wanted to make this dope ass movie, that was a horror comedy. Um, she even said that she was kept trying to make it purely horror. She didn't want any comedy in it, and she couldn't keep her jokes out of it because she has a macabre sense of humor. It is one of the few times where I, I've listened to a lot of you guys' episodes, and I very aggressively think, yeah, you can call it a dark comedy, but uh, it definitely is a horror movie. Oh, there's no question. And there's it's not even it's not even an argument that could be made because of the nuance and what we go through with yeah. each of the characters and the concentration on the brutality of it, especially oh, the, of course, the yeah. contrast between the two scenes in their separate bedrooms, mm-hmm. which is. One of my favorite focus. scenes. Like, if you were to hyperimpose both those scenes sequentially, you'd be able to see the rise and fall of intimacy with the entirety. It's a crescendo of two girls' relationship. The beginning, the acknowledgement of toxicity, then the evolution of having to deal with the brutality of an ending. Because it's it's an ending that isn't permanent. And we know yeah. that because Jennifer is undead. She's mm-hmm. a succubus, and her... Needy's gonna be fine. She's just gonna be institutionalized, which is also I have that is on the more negative side of my criticism. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Yes. For sure, we are going to talk about that. (laughs) Oh boy, there's like three main things that (laughs) stop it from being, uh, from people who are less have a more selective palette in what they identify as a horror story. Yes. And those three beats that I consistently bring up in criticism are the reasons that it's easier to watch the film but it's also easier to view it as a comedy yep i 100 percent understand that i can't wait to like get into the meat of that that's gonna be so much fun yes because uh where i mostly come from is there's three things to it it's the world building concept of it how does the scene work and how does it inform everything within the setting yep. and how can you interact how can you project yourself into it while still hearing characters out 100 percent and outside of that, it's the construction of how dialogue works, because I deal with a lot of d and I deal with a lot of things that just involve creating characters just by dialogue alone. Mm-hmm. So that definitely feeds into my perspective of where I approach criticism. Right. Because I'm like, how does this dialogue work? And speaking of small town context of it, as much as I'm critical to some of the more offensive moments, specifically this, the first kill. Yes. All of their all their commentary is a generalization that we make about Midwestern 
small towns that mm-hmm. they're hicks that they're offensive that they're saying really horrible things about other people i mean which is com- incorrect. there's a lot of use of the r word in this yes there it, it it's happens a lot five times yep because i counted it because i made a Same. drinking game of it <laughs> and i was like how are we gonna date how are we gonna date it but date it for the purpose of world building yep because anytime Anytime there's a pejorative in any of Diablo Cody's movies, it's for the principle of world building. Exactly, yeah. That's one of her big strengths as a writer. And it's the most actualized is in Tully. Yes. But you, seeing the journey of how she ends up delivering them is actually the frequency like reduces because she finds mom- moments to weaponize it in a way that's very telling of a character's vulnerability, of their upbringing, and who they are as a person Mm -hmm. and if this is a performative moment or if it's a moment of deep vulnerability the defensive systems of both jennifer and needy are really interesting because needy responds fully with body language while jennifer is always biting so until it switches at the pool scene yep god i can't wait to get even more into this i'm so excited i've been excited for this for like a month or and change since we told you we wanted you on this episode and i know nicole's so pissed right now listening to this that she wasn't here because i know she would have so much to say about these moments directed by karen kusama who we've now covered this is our third time covering her on the podcast so we did obviously the xx or not the xx sorry that's the band that's the joke we made so she did XX, which we covered uh, a few months ago, where she directed one of my favorite short films ever with her only living son, the sequel to Rosemary's Baby that it didn't need, but actually did. Uh, <laughs> After watching that film, it's absolutely the sequel it needed. I think I made that an Instagram comment on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you did too. <laughs> We both remembered it happened. <laughs> yeah, so it must be true, or else we're both highly suggestive. I am. <laughs> all, on, all on the table. Um, we also covered, well, I guess I covered The Invitation with past guest Primrock, which is not a movie I love, but a movie I appreciate. I love covering Karen Kusama because I find her choices so beautiful and interesting. As a director, amazing. They're all weighted. Everything has a different weight, and you mm-hmm. can put it on a scale. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So, of course, we do have the cast. A uh, pretty big cast here, but we'll cover, the, we'll cover the core. So, we have Megan Fox as Jennifer. Coming right off of the Transformers and Maxim. Yep. The Maxim Rocky Hot 100. Right Did she win number one that year? I don't know. I... I was I'm coming not into a my own <laughs> Nor am I. <laughs> you could say far from. I, I like God. I just know that it existed. I, I knew it existed. I remember seeing the covers. Yes. And just being like, we already know this because I was already a fan of her. I was a fan of her. God, I could do an entire thing about how much I fucking love Megan Fox. Oh, when she was on Hope and Faith? Oh, everything. Everything she's done. <laughs> and people are like, oh, God. And there was such a huge backlash. There's been a recent resurgence that we're also going to talk about. But I just saw yeah. a tweet the other day. It was like, do we all just collectively hate Megan Fox because she was so fucking hot? Yes. <laughs> and I think a lot of people just did hate her because she was stupid hot. I wasn't about that life. No, neither was I. I was like, no, she's amazing. She's funny. I love her. And you're like, oh, you just like her because her tits are big. And I was like, 
you need to she, understand has, a lot has, more about she has, me. She has boobs. Right. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I'm looking at her awesome face. It's so sharp and so interesting, and the I love dark it. Dark hair. Yeah. And just, just her little upturned nose, especially when she's in two thirds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's got this like mini Elvira thing going on, yes. and I'm about it. Give her a fucking pop, like a, a, a bump it, and she's fucking <laughs> Elvira, but the skinny version. <laughs> um, Amanda Seyfried coming off her success in Mean Girls, playing Anita Needy. Forgot her last name, goddammit. But Needy is her name's Needy's, character. Needy's the name. I just love that it's Anita, because they threw that in after her her character name was Needy in the script. And then they were like, oh shit, we should give her a real name to explain why this is her nickname. And it's Anita. <laughs> it also, it like, it works to like the characterization of just like very fair features and... Mm-hmm. Well. That moon face that like I don't want to support Harry Potter on this podcast because J.K. Mm. Rowling is the worst, but it's a very Luna Lovegood face. You could bring up Luna that I can't remember her name, but like you could definitely just say that like you could say yeah. her face. What else did she in? Because she wasn't. She was in things. a couple things, but she's mostly done stage since then. I think. I love her. <laughs> yes, I used to know her name. God damn it. Whatever. The, the, the soft, like, airy femmes of this world. <laughs> yeah, it's very fey, right? It is. Yeah. But yeah, Amanda Seyfried is the very feyish needy. Johnny Simmons as Chip, who I refuse to not call Young Neil, because he was also Young Neil in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, and controversial opinion, my favorite Edgar Wright. Say what you have to there's, say. No, there's an emotional pause because I'm trying to really approach it in a reasonable way. Because I know if I rewatched Shaun the Dead right now, I wouldn't love it as much as I used to. It's still amazing. I have recently rewatched it. It still holds up. Hot Fuzz holds up. No, Hot I, Fuzz, I, Hot I Fuzz is you, different actually. now. No, I, I agree with you because I'm, I'm being reflexive because I don't want to immediately agree because I don't like... I don't like pandering, and this is why it's one of my favorite films. Because <laughs> that movie does not pander. No. But a certain view can make it seem like it's pandering, and that's right. what's so subversive about it. Yep. Yeah. yeah, no, I'll agree. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Best Edgar Wright. But it's totally because of the bathroom scene in the hallway where I get oh, to hear so good. Legend of Zelda music. Just go. <laughs> <laughs> but now I get that from every sound clapper cloud rapper on the world so i'm 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 appeased <laughs> including the guy who uh the wonderful wonderful friend of the podcast who wrote our theme seth haken actually has a whole ep of anime sounds nice. that he produced and it is amazing it's so much gundam <laughs> it's fantastic i'll have to send it to you i really enjoy what tiktok has done for producers <laughs> it's so good we have my high school crush, Adam Brody, as Nikolai, the lead singer of Low Shoulder, and I guess the true antagonist of this film, to a certain degree. It's like you don't want to give him the power. I know, right? I'm like, no, you suck, but also you are the... If we're identifying an antagonist, it's supposed to be Jennifer, but I don't think it is. Oh, no, she absolutely isn't isn't the antagonist. It's because there's that moment, this secondary moment when they're in the bedroom and Mm -hmm. having the conversation. Well, the second scene in the bedroom where they're having the conversation about what actually happened to her. Yes. It's an assault scene. Yeah. 
And the fact that they end up making the credits where they end up dealing with revenge proves that the film itself is not a rape revenge story. Nope. But instead, that is the love letter to her friend who's lost. Mm -hmm. And that's her time. Those three minutes are her time to avenge and accept what happened. Yeah. I really want to talk about the credits, too. Um, One of my favorite credit scenes of all time, possibly my most... Also, Jennifer's body's named after the whole song, right? It is. And the fact yep. that the ending credits choose a different whole song. Yep. <laughs> we are on the same page, and I'm so stoked about it. I love the soundtrack of that film. It's a lot uh, for my high school years. Uh, it's a lot for mine as well. I was a punk and metal musician in high school. If I haven't mentioned this on the podcast before, I was in the music industry in Nashville from ages 14 to 24. And I started as a punk and metal musician playing dingy goddamn clubs in Nashville where I had X's on the back of my hands and still got drinks as a 14, 15, 16 year old. Sorry, Ma. Um, You already knew this. And it reminded me a lot of that of like, I I knew a lot of the musicians who performed in this film. Like I knew Panic in the Disco. Mm -hmm. I knew Motion City Soundtrack. Yep. I won't go into it for legal reasons, but I knew another certain band from Nashville and they may have stolen a lot of my music and I may cut that, but I grew up uh, playing shows at the knitting factory when I was 14. There and you everything go. Moved. That's a, that's another reason where I was like, Oh, I get, I get to do this one. Cause yep. I was also a teenage musician with uh, X's on my hands. Mm-hmm. I understand. <laughs> and a tattoo that no one knows about. Um, other than that, I guess the notables, weirdly Chris Pratt playing a cop, which is his most believable role. I was, I, my partner looks up at the screen. He's like, they're like, holy fuck, is that Chris Pratt? I'm like, yeah, he's playing himself. Yeah. A cop. (laughs) It's like, he's so nasty. I'm like, yeah, "Mm, well, just because somebody gets muscles doesn't change that. Yeah, no, he's a, uh. He's a cop who is a statutory rapist yes. and clearly does not know how to perform anal correctly. In the words of Jennifer, I have the entire department in my back pocket. I'm not going to get taken in. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a the lot we can words. dive into. We're going to dive into the sexual politics of this movie. It's probably oh the most God, interesting part of it, it's so cool. which is a real competition because this movie is amazing. Making some fantastic little, like, almost cameo-esque appearances, but actually get to deliver lines that change the tone of the film. J.K. Simmons as the hook-handed Mr. Robleski. I forget he's in this movie every single time, because he plays, like, he's J. Jonah Jameson. He's, uh, uh, oh, fuck, what's the villain from Portal 2? Cliff Johnson. Cave Johnson. He plays Cave Johnson in Portal 2, who is the person who invents the entire structure that creates the entire story of those two games. He is a big bombast... Whiplash. He's a big bombastic character, and I love him every time he's in a movie. But Diablo Cody knows how to use him. Because she cast him as Juno's really supportive father. And then this, like, nebbish... I I hate to use this word because I hate the alt-right. Cuckish teacher of english is it i don't know what he teaches (laughs) so having when i was watching the films i i have a current game 
where my partner just looked at me very earnestly and he's like, is this Mr. Helsinki? (laughs) And my whole life flashed before my eyes and I realized how much that performance has become a permanent NPC. Yep. (laughs) It's just so useful. I'm like, this thing's great. I'm going to, I'm going to put that in my back pocket. (laughs) All of the dwarves that are major characters as NPCs in my D&D games are Bernie Sanders. (laughs) So I'm like, oh yeah, Brooklyn Some Jew. Some minor Jack I can Black. Do this. <laughs> but Jack Black in like Orange Country. Oh or my Orange god, County. Or- Orange County is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I was actually just talking about another film that relates to that last night called... Have you ever seen Elk Cold? No, I haven't. Do yourself a favor because it is the plot of Casablanca as retold by stoner snowboarders in Alaska... I and have also seen has movie. Lee Majors in it. I've seen this movie. Yep. I just forget, forgot the name. <laughs> yep. It's like I just saw it in my head play. <laughs> it's one of the best movies ever. It is so good. And features Roy from The Office as one of my favorite gay on-screen characters. I think I saw that when I was too stoned to remember movies. There was a whole period of my life. Remember? Yeah, it was like 11 <laughs> to like 17. <laughs> <laughs> There's a time. There's a time when there was no time. <laughs> There was a time when we were stoned. I'm not going to go into a rendition of I Dreamed a Dream. As much as I want to, I just can't improv the lyrics right now. (laughs) It's a difficult thing to do. And then one of my favorite actors of all time, Amy Sedaris, as Needy's mom. Mrs. Les... Or, sorry, Miss Tony Les... As Needy's mom, Miss Tony Lesnicki. And in a just quintessential Amy Sedaris performance, weird as hell, neurotic as hell, not okay, putting her daughter in a carry dress and burning the shit out of her hair with the curling iron. The spring formal scene, Nicole and I were commenting on this while we watched it, and may she rest in peace as her succubus self from here on forth until we find some way to cleanse her in a non-Catholic ritual. I got to figure that out. Oh, so we're pretending she wasn't torpored. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Nicole was like, that's just so amazing that she's going to the winter formal as this like Carrie archetype in this ugly dress. It's neon pink. It's not even hot pink. It's neon pink. It is neon pink. 105% polyester. She's going to spill the blood, not have the blood spilled on her. Exactly. Um, and then that's that's the main cast. There's a few cute little uh, cameos in here. Bill Fagerbakey, who you may know from the sitcom Coach, or is probably better known as the voice of Patrick Starr, plays Jonas, the football player who is Eviscerated's father. And has one line in his big Minnesotan voice. The the you mean the father of the only canonically like fully queer character in the entire film, Jonas, (laughs) Uh, the football player. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh my God, yes. Because the reason she targets him is because there's more than one ways that he's vulnerable. Because Mm -hmm. there's a performative nature. He just lost what. Is very easily to project the person he loves. 
and it's, it's not it's not too much it's not too much of a push no it's kirk and ram Mathers. <laughs> yes it is <laughs> my dead gay son which is my probably my favorite number from that film or not from that musical uh that i'm trying to direct a version of anyway i think that's probably one of my favorite scenes in that entire movie it's so good um other cute little the other cute little cameo is lance henriksen plays the guy who picks up needy at the end of the film oh He's the one driving the station wagon. Also, talk about an echo to teeth. Yep. There is a lot of crossover between cool, weird indie feminist films. Oh, I love I the ending of teeth is probably one of the most powerful, just like 40-minute sequences. I love that film so <laughs> I much. Love that movie. A lot of people don't, which is stupid. But that relates back to this film, which a lot of people don't love and is amazing. To be fair, there's uh, it is one of those few films that you can't get too upset with people because it has a very heavy content warning on it. It does. The yes. Incest is very difficult. It is. To deal with. And mm-hmm. that is a huge trigger for a lot of people. And Absolutely. with that film in particular, I feel like that's actually the most criticism I hear about it. It is. And that's that's not unfair at all as a criticism. Um, even with the assault that happens in it, that's probably the most disgusting part of it. Because they do such a good job at establishing the world for her home. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not healthy. how much that wooden door is the only thing that's there protecting her mm-hmm. and they put so much of a focus on the vulnerability and the actual craftsmanship of that door that yep. you create so much anxiety and so much fear within that also coves yep just just abysmal water things that go to the pit of yeah absolutely nowhere there's just so many parallels there's so many of those <laughs> uh last few credits here um, obviously, Jason Reitman was a producer on this because he and Diablo Cody are writing partners and have done almost everything together. I don't think they've really actually done anything solo. Stephen Barton and Theodore Shapiro on the music, as we've already mentioned, fantastic. And my favorite moment of this movie that I forgot was here is that M. David Mullen is the DP. I love M. David Mullen so much. <laughs> I mean, we can go into his filmography, but he shot The Love Witch, Marvelous Miss Maisel. He has shot Westworld. He has shot Get Shorty, the f- TV series, which was amazing because somehow Ray Romano and Chris O'Hara just worked, or sorry, Chris O'Dowd worked so well together, but it's beautifully shot. Shot Mad Men, shot Smash, shot United States of Terra, which is where we get Brie Larson from, and it's like her breakout role. Yes, it is. And and my my queen, Tony she, Collette. I, I love her so much. I did find out that both of her parents are homeopaths. What? Yeah. I was looking her up the other night because I was we were watching... Oh, I was watching Community recently, and I forgot that she was in Community. And as Abed's girlfriend... And I just completely forgot that that was like a thing that she was. And I was like looking her up and I was like, oh my God, her parents were homeopaths in Santa Cruz. <laughs> she, is, she certainly channels that in Muriel's wedding. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Um, and David Mullen also shot Debs, one of the queerest films of all time. 
You've never seen it? No. Oh my god, you gotta watch Debs. I'm always happy when there's new movies. <laughs> Debs is a very like early to mid aughts attempt at queerness. Kind of like um but I'm a cheerleader. But really, really plays with those themes. Or like Josie and the Pussycats is probably the better comparison. Of like you're playing with queerness, but you can't be explicit about it because Bush is in office. That sort of thing. I I, I understand that as a fictional concept. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, M. David Mullen is one of my favorite cinematographers. Yours too, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, what can we say other than fuck yeah? <laughs> I, I don't have the eloquence for quite as more than fuck yeah. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. Uh, I guess the last couple would be we had Plummy Tucker as the editor, who's done some really cool stuff, has worked with Karen Kusama a few times, um, edited both Destroyer and The Invitation, and actually also Eon Flux. I and remembered the, it from Eon Flux. <laughs> yeah, which is an okay movie. I don't like that movie, but I remember I, it because... It's because the, the the series was so good. Yeah. And again, Nicole is sad that she's not here because she wants to talk about Eon Flux and how much she wants to get an Eon Flux tattoo. And then, like the yeah, we had... one or... Say again? Because there's so many iconic scenes that I could see translated as a tattoo. Uh, the fly in the eyelashes. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. That sounded like a that's basic response, but it wasn't. It was like, duh. <laughs> no, it's the Venus flytrap eyelashes. Yeah. Yep, because that's need such an that is the iconic scene, I think. Right from yeah. that, there's a few. There's the um, information the, makeout. Yes, like the the little pod tongue thing is another yeah, huge one. Yeah, that's as a well. really great one. The train scene. Yes, is what you're talking about. Yep, that one is just like one of my favorites to the elasticity of the bodies and like it it feels so desperate and i oops i love it so much so body horror in a really weird way yes god eon flux is so good the film eh, the show fantastic it's like there's i have an appreciation for that era the, the Resident Evil slash Eon Flux cinematic right. universe thing. And it's not a positive recollection. It's just, no, it's pretty bad. There's something really weirdly compelling about it. To yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's movie rubbernecking. That's what it is. Yeah. Ooh, that's really good. That's really solid. That's the right, that's the right thing to say. Just can't look away. No. Um, and then we have in the art department, and particularly as the, um, oh shit, um, production designer. Oh shit, I just lost it. I had it, and then I touched the thing. Sorry, this also happens because I have 10,000 tabs open. Sorry, there we go. Um, and the art director of this film, who is the one who really headed up the makeup and special effects department, although we will we can absolutely talk about special effects, was Paolo Giventori, who's done so many things, but has directed multiple art departments, including X-Men The Last Stand, not a great movie, but fantastic art direction, the Lost in Space reboot series, um, I Zombie, The Magicians, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which is a fantastic show. Love it so much. Jane Levy is one of our queens. He's done 
a thousand and one things, but specifically, I think of the magicians and yeah. the first ones you mentioned for um, the gore contribution of the kitchen floor scene. Yes, and how you get the almost mermaid slash merfolk bile yep. rather than like the deep forest bile because it immediately is like harpy mermaid succubus not you this is just a sludge monster that fell into the ocean or yeah. fell into a lake or something this it's, is a fully different thing it's sexy sludge <laughs> <laughs> sexy sludge our new podcast where we talk about sludges <laughs> that are sexy <laughs> Don't so. tell me. <laughs> There's so many I can think of. I guess we should finally get to the plot, which is actually pretty easy to get through. Yeah, the plot's it's an it's, easy one. It's a pretty straightforward plot. You know, it's a slasher, so move that. All right. And it does a uh, three-victim beat. It does, which is fantastic, yeah. I love that victim beats are... The best victim beats are always odd oh, numbers. God, that, the abandoned house one is rough. Because mm-hmm. I just I want to protect all the little goth boys of this world. God, all those little Fallout boys that I used to make fun of so much when I was because I was I was punk punk. Right? Oh no, I know. Now as an adult, I look at that. I'm like, I want to protect this kid. I would have yeah. kicked the shit out of that kid as an as a teenager. I was oh yeah, I was, I was Jennifer as a teenager, oh, and God. now I'm like, I don't know. I guess I'm J.K. I was Simmons. A shark. So <laughs> that says what it needs to say. <sighs> why we carry bats now <laughs> and then when the mainstream found out negan from walking dead they're like oh that iconography is so original i'm just gonna go with the barbed wire bat and we're like oh, city kids we yeah i really thing. hate this tattoo sometimes i'm referring to i, I, forget, I always forget That's this okay. is not we, a visual we, medium we both have little we oh you've got your master sword i've got my bat with we both nails have little weapons no yeah. i almost got that one yeah like me and my friend were just like what am i gonna get i was like i'll get a little sword of skull on it I can't wait for um, the text over this, which says, this machine kills fascists. <laughs> Make it a really annoying rap. <laughs> I just want to, look, I love Woody Guthrie, but guitars don't kill fascists unless used appropriately. Bats with nails in them do a great yeah. fucking job. Just Let go me down. just go ahead and say that for the record. <laughs> there were no bats in Jennifer's body. Not a single one, which is really frustrating. Yes, but... The weapons in it. The weapons are great. Were fantastic because they were all intimate. Yeah. And all fully skill and intimacy based. Mm-hmm. So let's get into that. Sorry, so, I was thinking of the penetration scene. Oh, oh so good, so good. Just the aspect ratio of that shot. Oh, I love that you're mentioning aspect ratio. Oh my god. Oh, I frame things. I understand that. I'm just not good at the production side. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the plot of this film is we have Anita Needy Lesnicki, played by Amanda Seyfried, from hereafter referred to as Needy. So we open this film with a narration. She is in a mental institution. She is known as a kicker. She has been diagnosed with something along the lines of like acute schizophrenia. Did they ever actually? I feel like they did. We see her chart. Oh. Yeah. And I believe it says acute schizophrenia. That's so hard to say. I believe it says acute schizophrenia. I know that that's... I know that schizo is on there. Uh, And as someone who has dealt with some schizoaffective things, I understand the uh, plight of that. Because I'm not crazy. I'm just a little crazy. Mostly just sad. 
I'm, I'm, I'm mostly just sad, but it makes me crazy. <laughs> so Sadness the can. opposite. Yeah. <laughs> well, inside out. <laughs> um, but she continues to narrate the story throughout, which we will refer to because she's in solitary until the end of the film. We also meet Jennifer Check, played by Megan Fox. They have been friends since childhood. There's a line about uh, sandbox love never ends. Well, maybe not. <laughs> So, alongside every every perpetuation of are you guys gay for each other as quickly and as often as it possibly be, can be said yeah and balanced too mm-hmm. and when it comes to that particular narrative you don't hear the balancing of that it's usually the dorky like very quiet girl that's nebbish and has the glasses is always the one that is the one that's pining and longing but from the first few scenes we get that it's equative that it's equal yes even if there is a subtlety of the abuse there there is there is a subtlety of abuse but they are both um mad scissory for each other we could say equally infatuated yes (laughs) i'll say the gross thing you say the nice thing um Nicole would also like me to say that it is ridiculous that they try to make Amanda Seyfried ugly in this. It's oh. a very she's all that moment. My but partner I feel like was talking it. about that, yeah. too. They're like, I don't know how they pulled that off. How did they make her eyes and boobs smaller? Right. And I'm like, oh. I said the same thing. I was like, yeah, she's got moon eyes and moon tits. Like, How did it work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's full moons on both. And it's like, there is a nice line about when they're about to go to the uh, the club, as they call it. But really, it's just a, a roadhouse. It's called effeminate grooming as a response to misogynistic culture. It's females grooming each other in a way that makes them feel like they have power and agency outside of situations that they usually don't. And when I say females, I just mean femmes. I don't, yeah. I definitely don't mean, and I don't even know why I use that word. <laughs> it's not a word I use in my regular life. Um, but yeah, the, the grooming scene of that yeah of her being like you can't do this you can't do that honestly that's probably some of the few lines with chip where i'm just like i don't care yeah like why are you talking <laughs> <laughs> he's such an idiot so needy is dating chip aka young neil from scott pilgrim johnny simmons character jennifer is the popular cheerleader but only in name only right like she's a heather to herself but not to the school. It doesn't seem like she controls the school other than like the dick having population. It's actually said that two years ago was when she had the social status. Exactly. In the pool scene, that's established. Yes. That she had a falling out with that social status mm-hmm. and forever projects that insecurity onto Needy. Correct. But doesn't blame her for it. No. Oh God, I just can't wait and get. I just, I'm so excited to talk about more of the the politics of this movie between the two lead women bodied characters, femme bodied characters, right? Femme bodied is probably more what I should. The two lead femme characters. Yep. Let's just say that because their bodies do matter in this, and that's the only reason I'm using that word. Especially Jennifer's body. Oh wow! Oh shit! I just got that. And that's okay <laughs> if you actually. Think about the lyrics to that song by Hole. Mm-hmm. Every, it hits, and I know I'll stop, then we can go to the soundtrack at any other point, because I'm so obsessed with the narrative beats that Diablo Cody hits with her soundtracks. Sure does. Um, but, God. <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to see this, 
bullshit indie rock band, probably the level that I was at, like you're playing local clubs, like you are not a big deal. Someone has heard of you, but you think you're way the fuck bigger than you are. I remember the first time I got signed and it, I, I was having a lot of like flashback near trauma, not true trauma during this film because I was in multiple bands that were like signed by local marketing or production agencies or whatever in my late teens and I thought I was the biggest fucking shit because of that and I fucking wasn't <laughs> it's it's also a weird survival technique because yep. you're having to amp yourself up to mm-hmm. do the stupid thing that you're doing yeah because the lifestyle toll absolutely every single bit of it is counterintuitive to the production of actually creating decent music yep so if you don't perpetuate this weird god complex especially as a mask presenting person it ends up being like oh if you don't have the attitude you aren't the rock star which is total bullshit yeah (laughs) but you're also a dumb teenage boy yeah i was 16 with pierced ears uh no tattoos yet but i was wearing black flag t-shirts i had on my high top vans and my knockoff docks because i couldn't afford real ones I was wearing ripped black jeans and I had a high top fade or sorry, low top fade at a low top fade and was just like, oh, yeah, I'm the mixed one of the group. I'm the interesting one, but I'm the bass player and I write everything. But I would throw that energy on stage until I finally became a lead singer and lead uh, instruments person of a band. I'm learning so much of how our lives are similar. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, there's a lot of that going into this. And I loved that it was Adam Brody because by the time... I didn't actually see this movie in theaters. I initially said, fuck that. I know what this is. It's trying to play on my male teenage horniness. And I don't want that. Because it came out... I was 19 when this came out. Yeah. Almost 20, but I was like, I I know what they're trying to do with this. I don't need that. I'm above this. This is like a cash grab attempt at being Elvira. I was so wrong. I was so wrong. I would actually say a lot of my more negative criticisms, uh, what's the term? Fridged the movie for a really long time. Yeah. And it isn't just you. It's the choices they made in editing the trailer, Mm -hmm. all of the advertising for it, and also the way the movie is framed from a narrative standpoint. The first 20 minutes, the last 20 minutes before credits cut, and some of the middle arc are totally the weakest parts of the film. Yeah. And And you can make the projection. You can project on all of that. You're like, I'm I'm a horny teenager. This isn't my thing. Or you can be like me, whose parents are like, this is clearly what this is. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, oh, you guys, you're you're so woke, but you won't agree with me on Sucker Punch? Okay. Oh God, Sucker Punch! That's a that's something I want to talk about at some point. I've got a lot of thoughts about that film, and none of them are coherent. No, <laughs> they're less coherent than this. Yep. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, Needy and Jennifer are going to see this indie rock band, Low Shoulder, which is a reference to a driving thing that I didn't realize because I'm not really a driver. I had a band called Exhaust Pike. So I, I had under- one called the the Penalty Kill. Because we were all big hockey fans and the bathroom in our rehearsal space would consistently be destroyed by burritos. 
We had stupid bikes. That's why we had our dumb name. Yeah, and ours was named after a bathroom that you could smell in the rehearsal space after someone had a burrito and a and um, a movement. Band names. <laughs> Adolescent band names. They're everyone. never smart, but they're always fun. They're fun. Pill Me Kill is still a great is still a great band name, though. It was a punk band. It was fun, you know. Like, oh, we're hockey fans, but like we're killing the penalty. Because whenever anyone fucked up a rehearsal, they had to go sit in the penalty box, which is the name of the bathroom. <laughs> we I didn't were know that. We were mean. Um, so a fire starts. We're ignoring Chris Pratt in this. Um, oh God, I love the way the fire starts too. The framing of all of it. Yeah. From it seeming just the shot ratio of it being just one sixteenth of the frame, mm-hmm. and it just shooting up very slowly at the curtain. And just having him, there's one point Adam Brody just, his eyes shoot back for a second. Yeah. And he smiles. Yeah. And that's all you need. He didn't need to say anything for the rest of the scene until he comes out. And I'm just like, I will contend that Adam Brody is a great actor. Because that sounds horrible. (laughs) (laughs) But I do love Adam Brody because I was a huge fan of the OC. Oh, so was I. Great show. Great show. Yeah. Until Misha Barton left, then it kind of... Eh. I understand, but... Eh. I, I have a lot of feelings about like certain actors of that era and that particular... Um, like I like the movie Savages. Yeah. That that explains it without having to go on too long. I think we don't need to go into it anymore. <laughs> I just... Um, I love Adam... Part of the reason I love Adam Brody... I, uh, sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> I almost gave it away. Part of the reason I love Adam Brody is one of my friends that I had a huge crush on in high school, who's a year ahead of me, used to call me Adam Brody Eyes because I had a low top fade with a Jewy hair, Jewy hair, as some people called it in high school, which is a very offensive thing to say, but not inaccurate. And the curly girl method wasn't wasn't talked about. At yeah, that age. no. I now use a a particular salon in new york that i won't name drop because they don't sponsor us but they take care of textured hair very well i'm aware of any of those i also just fried my hair so i'm having to go back up. <laughs> but yeah i uh i've loved adam brody because someone that i was super into called me adam brody eyes and i was like well guess i love him now because i want to be him because she wants me to be him and i definitely want that (laughs) doesn't seem like the worst thing like it's an obtainable goal it is yeah that's that's something fairly positive about that that teenager i don't know what else was there but that's like reasonable projection is something that kids like I know plenty of kids that do. I know plenty of kids that listen to this that do. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's it's rough. You always get, like, and I am sure that you've had a similar experience to me with it, of just having things that are far out of our hair texture, far out of just, like, every yeah. bit of us, and then being like, this is the thing we like. And I'm like, okay, cool, I'll be alone, it's fine. Yep. So it was nice to be compared to a curly-haired king. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Paige. For in, uh, for I won't fully dox you, but thank you, Paige, for enhancing my uh, self-esteem in times that it was very, very much needed. Very crucial in those years. Yeah. When everybody looked like Connor Erberst, it was uh, hard for me to feel attractive. <laughs> Gotta love the Saddle Creek era. God, 
it was just Rilo Kylie and Ben Gibbard. Hey, and but we got cursive, and I will never complain. We about did cursive. get cursive, and we got a textured hair queen on cello out of cursive. Yes. So, God, the ugly organ to this day. <laughs> to this day, shit. I God. saw it. I saw them at the Bowery. I saw them at the Ryman. Fantastic. It was <laughs> a transformative experience. Stand until the end of time. <laughs> and you know what? Sufjan Stevens at oh my god, what was the name of that place? It's shut down now, but it was this it was Nashville's version of CBGB in the early aughts. Oh god. I'm trying to see what the last band I saw at CBGB was. I mean it was fifteen years ago yep. when they shut down? Yeah. Jesus. R.I.P. <laughs> But it's so much, so much of this film is about our time. Exactly. No, I mean, we were the None eight, of this we were is the... the tangent. Yeah. And um, what the bigger thing I was making a comment about was uh, my partner's like, I really don't relate to this because they're a theater kid that like didn't right. have any of that. I was like, well, I was, I was a crust punk that would bum cigarettes off my friends yep. all day and then go by the, oh, God. <laughs> I'd go by the FDR and like drink 40s with my friends. Like, yeah. And it got it. It got it in a weird way, but I it always really feel is. that way about Diablo Cody because I feel she like there's understands. this beautiful mirror to what I lived in, mm-hmm. especially from a very subtle, like, it's like, are you reading my mind and my, th- my rewind playlist? Like, how? And it's the softer parts of myself. It's not the performative parts. No, it is the true soft boy within me that responds to Diablo <laughs> Cody's writing. Like, yeah. I watched Juno, which is not a film about me at all. I, I would even say Juno is not my favorite thing in the world, but it resonates. It hits. Fucking Kim Yaw Dawson just, like, in there. And just, like, Kim Yaw Dawson as just an entity of sorts. Was just, I mean... She was peak queerness for our yeah. for our age group, right? Absolutely. Like we're the same age, and it was so much about like you swore that you loved Fugazi more than any other band. Oh my god! And I do love Fugazi. This conversation is triggering, but not in a negative way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just throwing you back. Oh, yeah, it's like I I, I had I, I don't know about you. I made my own Fugazi T-shirts. I did too. because you oh had my to god. because yeah. they kept telling you to. Do- yeah. Well, also they disbanded in 1989. I wasn't. <laughs> Born. I wasn't born. <laughs> My mom knew Black Flag, and that was the closest I got. <laughs> My mom knew like Kathleen Hanna and like yep. all of that culture because she yeah. actually knew them. And yeah. I was like, I and my mom at high school rolled their eyes, and then she's like, Oh, you got hard one day, and I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't compete, so I couldn't make fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> my mom knew uh, Black Flag, Blondie, and. Um, the tubes who are if you don't know an obscure electronica band based after Kraftwerk but existed mostly in nashville and they are incredible that sounds great (laughs) they are Kraftwerk meets alan parsons project and it is the most niche fucking thing you will ever listen to and it's goddamn amazing fantastic so that's where i came up that and wu-tang because my my mom says like wu-tang's for the children Oh no! Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, that. that um, my int- my introduction to Enter the Thirty Six Chambers was Jedi Mind Tricks was a huge thing for my mom too. Uh, yep. Freaking moral technique, everything. Dead Press. Oh my god. That Dead was Prez. that was Fuck. like also like Salt and Pepper and everything yep. else. That was so, what I was raised on. So this movie was for us. Yes. <laughs> Much like Green Room, this movie was for us. <laughs> so sad. God. 
actually met, I, uh, I hung out with Motion City Soundtrack a couple times, uh, which is on Young Neil's wall. And I, I should call him Chip, but that, I can't not call him moment, Young Neil. No, that moment when I see the Motion City Soundtrack, like just poster, and I just think back to like seven years ago where Jesse and like my friend Anna would be in like her old living room. And I was like, oh, this is this is great because Motion City Soundtrack was such a huge part of like, yeah. I was I was baby. And like, Pierre commented, uh, complimented things. my hair one time at Warp Tour. <laughs> I would, it was the middle of summer in Nashville. I had bought a Motion City Soundtrack t shirt, which is still in my drawers over there. <laughs> And it's signed by all five members. Oh, and Pierre looked at my I hair and goes, mine. nice hair. And then he got on stage and made a joke about his hair. And he said, oh, yeah, I stuck my finger in an electrical socket when I was six. And it just kept looking like this ever since. Because right. before my hair fell, it was the true, like, Arab Jew fro. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was 10 inches long, but just went up and out. I looked like a bad Goku. I love how my brain isn't playing like it's... I just have that's what they say when you all fall down and like the one of their first uh it was like their ep i think yeah it was and like i just have that in my head right now and it's like i when i found that band it was so seeing that in a film and i was like yeah there's also i think she has a say anything poster in Tully. yes yes and just having a lot of a lot of the people that kind of got me out of the toxic parts of punk culture mm-hmm. on like the walls of things was just really nice. They I mean, have their every every single one of those bands under the sea has their own problems. Like I actually I had a whole thing about like in this about bringing up the parallels between Through the Trees and the Quiet Things You, Jesse Lacey and all of that because oh that was that immediately so that so immediately what I thought of because of the melody. Yep. And brand new and I was like, oh god, a band that I grew up on and taught me how to play music. Eight every bit of it yep. especially when they went to the devil and devil and god are raging inside me is one of my favorite albums of that, all time and i hate that about myself oh so do i i hate the evolution of each of those albums in relation to it because it creates this ugliness but it's so real and so visceral in jennifer's body yeah it's it's like we have the whole evolution of that moment in her death yep so we should get to that. <laughs> I could say so much more about like, um, let's get fucked up and die, which is my favorite. Sorry, LG FAD, uh, my favorite Motion City soundtrack song because it just hit me exactly where I Time lived. Time turned fragile is mine. Solid call. Oh man, now I'm thinking about Thursday. We'll just <laughs> we'll get into this off mic, but oh my god, we could go in on like mid aughts That's why I was so excited about this movie because it's everything and Ugh. and the response to everything at once. Yeah, it was front and back, and it was so intense, and it was so honest about it. Yep, it knew exactly what it was. I love that about this movie. So. <laughs> the fire engulfs the bar. A lot of people die. We get a great shot of a woman being trampled. Oh, yeah. A great shot of a man on fire screaming until he dies. And it's a nice <clears throat> metric shot, too. It is, yeah. You go from uh, left third to right third yep. in those shots, and it's beautiful. Because the middle third is still that one post in the bar. And yeah. it rotates around it and keeps everybody in thirds, and it's so solid. God. Such... Mullen. Good rotation. It's Mullen. Solid. <laughs> yep. There's I have two favorite Mullins, M. David and Rodney. And both are just inventive, creative, weird dudes who just make shit up and it works. I will say the only criticism I have of shots 
is the close cut uh more claustrophobic shots are not my favorite no they're not they're not fantastic no um the claustrophobic shots don't do what they should do um because a lot of this movie is imitating especially when they're going down the stairs yep um the first incident of her trying to help jennifer in the house yep and we're getting right at that so (laughs) jennifer is in shock gets in the van with the creepy rapey uh, and you see this wide shot of Needy's response, but she's not the focus because she's not close enough and she's not making the choice. And yep. then the survivor's guilt clicks in as... Sorry, I did that. No, that was perfect. I actually like that. Clicks in as soon as that van door closes. Yep. And all we get is survivor's guilt. Yeah. And it's a, it's a long shot. Yes. You get to sit with it. Which, again, is just Kusama knowing exactly how to manipulate that. And I don't mean that in a bad version of manipulation. You can feel the cold of the concrete despite the fact that there's a raging fire in back of it. Yep. There's dirt, concrete, and guilt. And that's Mm -hmm. all you have. The floor feels like an extension of her body. Yeah. And I'm talking about Needy's body. Yeah, no, she's grounded in that moment. And something... um, I've done a lot of theater directing, and one of the things I get so mad at, because this is why I quit doing theater myself, is that I don't have a good, I'm not good at grounding myself into the floor, but I will yell at my actors forever for doing it, or for not doing it, rather, of like, no, you pick a spot, and that is your spot. You can move around, but you need to come back to that spot, whether actually physically, like that actual point on the grounds, or emotionally and physically in a different spot but you always need to be on the floor unless your character says otherwise it's probably one of my favorite scenes in pen 15 yep great reference and yes that one stuck with me so hard i was like i relate <laughs> yep because i got yelled at for it so much does it feel warm acting. no you're not on your mark yep <laughs> is your light there is your tape there no great you're in the wrong spot stop so, Jennifer ends up showing up in Needy's kitchen completely just covered in blood. Her little white faux fur hood, puffy jacket, and short shorts and nylons are all covered jacket. in blood. It's such a good choice of jacket. It's, it, it, it is a time machine of a yeah, jacket. It is 2007 it is in a jacket. flat ironing your hair. <laughs> and trying to tease the back, not my scene, but, but I we knew, all knew we, them. We knew them. I knew every single one of them. It was the the popular girls from my high school who would come and hang out at my shows and didn't want to didn't want to go on dates with me, but did want to be near me. They wanted the edgy social clout without the commitment of any sort of status, yeah. invisible status, right? Dissolving, yeah. Because I was the uh, I was the broke kid at a private high school on scholarship, and playing grungy clubs downtown, and they wanted to go to those grungy clubs because some of the cool guys also played those grungy clubs. And this is where I'm going to make the transition to all time low and seeing them yeah. at the knitting factory when we there were all go. about that age because they have a track in this movie. They do. It's Toxic Valentine. It is. Oh my god. The soundtrack of this movie is it is also itself like a little time capsule time oh, machine. Oh, absolutely. And I'm thinking of that particular show because that girl 
went with me. Mm-hmm. And that was that girl for me who was totally a straight girl who would just manipulate me at every option she got because of the codependency of our dynamic. Almost like Jennifer. Almost like Jennifer. Where we're standing at the show. And I remember, we're we're going back for a second, because they're standing in the audience. And Jennifer's paying complete attention to Adam Brody's character. Yep. And she extends her hand out and grabs Needy's hand. Yep. And Needy looks at her. And I feel the chill yeah like run through my entire spine of knowing that that electricity was never meant for me but having held that hand <sighs> at that show holy so shit. many yep. times and knowing this this person is just creating a moment for them that has nothing to do with the energy just being like i, I sound very like <laughs> it's i'm gonna get into it a little bit more because we have telekinesis we have astral projection we have all sorts of things <laughs> with like just the i don't want to call it telepathy but when the girls can notice each other right in the beginning of the scene with a uh, chip and her talking before jennifer picks her up needy knows jennifer's right outside the window yeah. five seconds before she's there yeah and that electricity is something that's so so part of that early slash mid high school's bond with somebody who i god what is that song um i think it's maps by yep always the yeah yeah maps is the the yeah yeah yes is the unrequited queer crush anthem for me in Uh, so many different ways i've never met a queer person who doesn't love that song Literally ever. And it's like, because you're standing there holding that person's hand at that show mm-hmm. and knowing it's a projection to this old man on the stage and just yep. being like sitting there and having to stew in it. And also having the battle in your own head where you're just like, I know this isn't about me, but I'm savoring this moment. Yep. Mine was Elizabeth, last name deleted, who I had the biggest crush on. And she would come to shows and find me like shows I'd be opening for, but I would open, get off stage and she was going to see the headliner, but she would find me in the audience and she'd be dressed exactly like Jennifer was in this film. We both came out later. Um, She is now very happily married to a wonderful woman who takes care of her. And they, yes, they live in the mountains and wear a lot of flannel and Birkenstocks. That's wonderful. It is. Uh, Since she was a rich girl from outside of Nashville who was always dressed in like, everything couture but like shitty go shitty couture like you know 2006 no, right pauline had that jacket yep so did elizabeth um and she would come and see me at shows i was hoping for uh and then like i literally that hand-holding scene triggered me the yeah. fuck out because i was like oh my god elizabeth <laughs> and, and we would not talk at high school that moment was this story is about me yeah and when I say about me, I don't mean a projection. It's that it felt visceral mm-hmm. from the first time I saw it. Yeah. And that was in what? It's 2009, right? Yeah, it came out okay. in 2009. Okay, I was like scared. I was like holding my No, 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 no. It was um, date, originally right? was being shopped around in 07, but it was, uh, okay. it was released in 09. That's what I was pretty... I did an okay job. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a fantastic job. I have your notes here, and they are <laughs> extensive. Um, <laughs> I just... I... That... That moment and how quickly 
all of that control is lost yeah. in the same exact way. Mm-hmm. And For both characters. So as an adult watching it mm-hmm. versus as a teenager, well, were we teenagers? Like we were like at the end. I was 19 when it came out, but I was... You and I are roughly the same age. Yeah, I was twenty twenty one when I saw it somewhere in that age. Yeah. After uh, several other queer friends were like, no, 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 you have to watch this. It's a, uh, it's a feminist text. Yeah, no, there was it was around then. But watching it the other night, I actually had a full adrenaline reaction to, I need to save that girl. Yeah, and yeah, both of them. Both of them, because neither of them can push. Neither of them can break through that cold, like, almost winter, like, fall energy. Like I said, the space between the two girls is ice. The entire floor is frozen in comparison to the backdrop of the fire and there's a void between them Mm -hmm. and it's completely created by just the need yeah a need that is purely hormonal it's not based in logic it's based off of oh i listened to this one song alone and felt a connection Mm -hmm. and when you're when you're a child and they're children they're children and the movie brings that home yeah and a scene we can talk about much later on or about yeah you you, you, we're not too far from it you've seen my notes (laughs) i have and i'm very excited that was one of those that really stuck out to me um yeah so jennifer appears in needy's kitchen covered in blood uh rips open a rotisserie chicken (laughs) while needy comments that that was for later in the week um, because that's the natural response to something horrifying happening. Yeah. Like I've had a friend uh, overdose in front of me, and I kept saying, "Like, no, but you have a you have a paper due later this week. You have to do the thing, right? Because you don't focus on the clear thing happening. You focus on the terrifying, or sorry, you focus on the the non terrifying things. It's like, oh, this interrupts your life flow. Heck, I got frustrated <laughs> with a girl who got roofied at a show because she needed to take her circular contacts out before we took her to the hospital. <laughs> And I was screaming at her, and she was screaming back at me, being like, no, the doctors can't see me with the orbital side pupils. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's so it's that trauma moment where you focus on the, the bullshit. Yeah. She's like, that was for later in the week. Um, we're not supposed to eat and it right now. we know her mom wasn't going to care. <laughs> no, her mom is pilled the fuck out. <laughs> Um, in a wonderful connection since we're on the uh, I didn't mention this up top but we are still in Scream Queens and I think both Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried should qualify for oh, Scream Queen status like that's why we're covering this movie this month is because they both should be way more respected in horror culture than they are absolutely this is an advocacy moment I was expecting I was expecting even in that year for her to be like the monster yeah. moving forward. Not the last girl, but the monster. Yeah. And not in a mean girl sense. No, no, no. In no. a sympathetic, this is what culture has done to us sense. And that is and, the through line of this film. Yeah. I mean, this is, it, it's all about what culture has done to... It's even what's through the trees. <laughs> I'll let that. I'll let that happen. No. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Jennifer vomits all over Needy, and the vomit like spikes up in this very Matrixy Joy Division type way. <laughs> <laughs> I always see Joy Division when I see the vomit. No, I understand. It's their most famous graphic. I mean, I'm not to be blamed for this, right? Um, 
I also think of um, the adaptation of Jeff Vandermeer's uh, uh, God. Annihilation. Yes. yes. Magnetic puke. <laughs> yep. God, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, which we've already covered on the podcast and is such a good movie because Alex Garland just understands how to do horror in such a cool way and all sci-fi. Anyway, that's another episode. That's several other episodes that we are still yet to get to, even though we've covered him twice now, three times. Fuck. Um, there's just certain favorites on this podcast. It's not like we're weirdos. It's fine. It's not like I have the A24 officially licensed book of Ex Machina sitting right over there. <laughs> You don't bring up that movie to me. That's fine. I can't stop. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, we might do a second episode on Ex Machina. Um, it's just, we're talking about isometric design. Yep. And then I will close that. <laughs> yep, we're just going to leave that alone for now. Um, so, Jennifer's fine. Needy is freaked. And then the gaslighting begins. <laughs> exactly. So... Jennifer kills Jonas, our Ram to our Kirk, or our Kirk to our Ram. I'm not sure, but I do want to keep making Heather's references about these two because it is clear that they do love each other. God, the the way that she grows into him. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of reviews about this book, about this. <laughs> it was eventually a book. It was a graphic novel later. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a series of graphic um, novels later. It's really funny that I don't know these things. <laughs> I'm glad I don't know everything. It's, it's it gives nice me to things learn. to find Exactly. And learn. They're fun to read. Um, they're not the best, but they're fun. But it's the defining moment where you're like, if you're if you're a monster, addicted, weirdo like me, you're just like, oh, it's a succubus. And yep. you don't you you do and then in all of these reviews they go around with all these monsters the misunderstanding of the film reviews mm-hmm. name every single monster that doesn't have their own agency yep they always name fallen femme monsters yep rather than the one with all the fucking power <laughs> thank you for saying that because she, no point no point does she go for revenge she just goes for the guttural yeah. she goes for the weakest link she goes for the most vulnerable, and she's unrelenting about it. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about her anymore. It's also not about the demon in her anymore. It's her responding retroactively to the toxicity and the terms of her death. Mm-hmm. It's relentless. It goes for the innocent, the true innocent. Yes. And it doesn't stop. It goes for the, I know I might, I feel like it's me projecting, but it goes for what we were saying, the closeted, queer character who is absolutely in love with his best friend yeah and then it immediately goes the next victim is a blur for me right now but i really do think it was just the it was colin it It was was colin yeah um the misunderstood like sweet bean yeah he's just a soft boy encased in a terrible lip piercing and a bad haircut yeah, and, and way too many chains. I mean, he's hot. To- it's like he fell through a hot topic I will and say, came out the other end. My one inappropriate moment in this film is when that chain drops. It's so, and I'm like, oh, I had a really weird reaction to that. That was not cool. 
I heard that and I was like, oh, that reminds me of something. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone in that. No. Because it took me out. That's the sound design of that moment. I was just like, okay. <laughs> I've heard that before. Where did I hear that before? <laughs> so in other words, Topher and I would both be dead from Jennifer, it appears. <laughs> it appears that we are two clear victims. Ideal victims. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> That whole scene is so tragic. Him it's going so tragic. up, him going through the scene, going through the entire thing. But I think I did jump on that one because I can't. My brain is not remembering the in between for that. It's a it's a montage. It is a montage. Yeah, it's um. You actually jumped to the right point because basically needy is just sort of like, oh, everything's fine for a while. We have a month. Um, Jennifer's feeling horrible again. It's like, why and do I feel like shit? The and then we have the Colin scene. Classroom. Right before it as yeah. well. Yeah. Which was hilarious. Oh my god. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but she reminds me I can't remember her of, either. Um, she's in the same vein as... Uh, what was the woman who made, who dated Michael Sarah forever? And they did um, the Cactus movie together. She was in uh, um, that terrible movie that Judd Apatow directed with Seth Rogen and Katherine Heigl. Fuck! It's I, on the I tip know of her my name right now. I same. Anyway, we we've got this fantastic sort of like um, because of the era of the movie, she's mimicking other Eastern Asian actresses of the time and very much playing on that. Like that's clearly Kusama saying, "No, no, no, no! I want this girl in this film because we've seen her cast that person before, and we also know that she understands the bite of the movie, which is let's bite the tropes." And also the narrative that I was bringing up earlier about erasing the reality of musicians' Mm -hmm. bullshit. Yeah. Because that entire scene is about, oh, no, no, no. They they didn't exploit our town based off our vulnerabilities. They're heroes. They're immortalizing us. Yeah. How dare you say that they're not heroes? It's on the Wikipedia. The only people who aren't guilty of that is the chicks. Yep. Yep. The only group. Love the chicks. Everyone else. Nightmare for y'all. So Jennifer is looking like shit relative to Jennifer. Yes. And there's also a great line later from Needy. It's like, it makes her look ugly. I mean, not ugly, but like relative to her ugly. (laughs) That's said in her bedroom to Chip. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's just such a great line where it's a little bit, like, lesby thirsty, but it's also... The thirst is there, and I find it really satisfying, because there is the build of jealousy within the context of that conversation, because he's like, why are you talking about her again? She's fine. But the reality of it is that... As much as we want to build into the homoeroticism of all of it, mm-hmm. it's that's even how straight women have to navigate those relationships. Yeah. Like, yes, all of the queer thing is valid in the entirety of the entire film, but 100%. this is a relationship that is monopolized off of Needy's vulnerability and the I don't like using the term pick me energy, but the acknowledgement that there there's an intimacy given to people freely in a way that she's just like, I don't get it that she gets. And in the moment where she gets it, it's the most painful, toxic, 
assaulting scene. Yeah. Even compared to Jennifer's actual death. Yeah. Which is very assaulting and we will get to. Yeah. So in between that, um, Jennifer starts realizing that, like, we start seeing her try to take parts of Nudie's life. Yes. Because she says, no, Colin's a great guy. He's, like, really sweet. I love him a lot. Like, we had a scene earlier with him that we didn't mention, but... It's only after Needy says that Colin is great that Jennifer goes, yeah, I'll go out with you. I don't know what, I don't like boxing movies about Rocky Horror Picture Show. (laughs) It is a three minute turnover. Yeah. It is immediately, it's almost like a race. It's a chase scene. Mm -hmm. And verbal chase scenes. There, there must be only two rows of lockers that they have this entire interaction in. Yeah. And it's beat, beat. Oh, you like him. Jennifer's entire body, instead of turning to needy, goes up a little bit more and turns to the left. Yep, it goes upstage and faces left. And it's so it's such a great shot because it's all shot wide. So yeah. you see the T-junction of lockers. Um, and so she turns, says, hey, Colin, we're going out tonight. I'm going to watch Aquamarine. I just got the DVD. It's about some mermaid chick. <laughs> I guess she has sex with her blowhole. Yeah. There's so many great one-liners in this. Is that it felt like it was a critique from yesterday about then. Like, it's it's so fresh because of its critique on this. I actually have a quote on that, too. Oh, I'm so excited for that. All right, let's bust through this plot. <laughs> okay. Jennifer, she looks like shit relative to her. Like she's, she's falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> she sees that Needy wants Colin in a certain way. Because uh, monogamy is mostly a lie. Some people can achieve it, but not most. Um, Not successfully and not happily. Maybe that's an inverse thing relative to my own experiences, but... Oh, no, I have all sorts of things to say about that, but I'm talking about Jennifer's body. (laughs) Yep, so does Robert Evans, and he's amazing, and you're amazing, and I'm I'm okay. And we will have a whole separate thing about that. Yes. But... um, so she invites Colin over to a house. She's like, I'll text you my Addie. I, I just can't get over it. The language of this film is so perfect. Like, as a writer, you take a real, real risk when you time capsule your language. Yes. This film only exists for people born between, like, 1988 and 1994. No one else will understand the language of this film. No, nobody that doesn't understand eat hot chip and lie (laughs) if you weren't an early fan of vine this is not for you (laughs) but there is yeah very very explicitly aughts language in this and not in a it, it there are critics of this film who we will not name because they're boring that's but, a nice word to use who who thought this film was all about Jennifer's body which it is but they misunderstood what that meant or about yeah, no, like sure trying to be trendy they were like oh it's hipster it's like no 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 this is not hipster this is this is normcore anytime i hear the term hipster used by a middle-aged straight white man in a critique i cringe a little cuz i'm like oh Oh, I'm sorry, Daddy. Did you forget that your life's really boring? You have to call things outside of yourself hipster. 
it's cool. It must suck because you're not invited to the party. Right. Sorry that you don't get to hang out with Ben Gibbard. <laughs> Sorry that you're not seeing LCD sound system at a basement show or like islands reuniting at Webster Hall, which I did. And Michael Sarah played and it was a lot of fun. I saw Michael Sarah in, in and out and he was strange, but that is not He's a an story. odd guy. Did, I hung weird. out with him one time after a screening of Scott Pilgrim at the Metroplex downtown. The last remaining Metroplex. The things that that man did to Animal Prize. I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine what that was. (laughs) Oh my god. But one of the only non-toxic male cast members of Arrested Development. So we'll take that in stride. I'll take that. So Jennifer kills Colin. (laughs) Yes. Really brutal parallel scene. (laughs) When Needy and Chip are having sex. Oh, God. And the third time where there is a telekinetic link between Jennifer and Needy. It is. Yeah, it's the third time. Because we see the first one is when she knows that Jennifer is yes. showing up for the show. The second time is when she realizes that Jennifer's in her house. Yes. And the third time is when she we get the most significant link. The really beautiful thing about that is as much as every as much as both of them are doing just cardinal things. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Like it the, doesn't feel like the link is sexual. No. It doesn't. It's, it's like a bat signal. Yeah. It's uh it's an intimacy that is non sexual. Yes. Which is beautiful and I love that. It's actually one of my favorite through lines of the film is yes. that they have a certain type of intimacy that is not sexual, even if it is sexual at times. That's why I'm so aggressive about like my language in relation to it, because mm-hmm. that's where the violation is. Yeah. The violation is not the sexual violation, which is coming up very shortly. Yeah. But it is the violation of the trust between the two of them. That sandbox love, as Needy calls it. It is the reminder of the thread that's still very much there between the two of them that both of them are trying to snuff out. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them's trying to snuff out. The other I think one, they both are, actually. I, 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 I'd love to hear more. <laughs> I would love to say more. So, Needy starts... It, this is this is a beautifully built scene, and all love to Karen Kusama because this is clearly her direction, not just and Diablo Cody for the writing, but the direction clearly came on set. This is one of those moments where you can tell the difference between writing and direction, and it's needy moaning in what sounds like passion, but is actually fear, and it's a great acting moment from Johnny Simmons, yeah, where you see that high school boy. Thinking like, oh, I'm destroying, I am crushing this box. (laughs) And I'm using gross terms only because it's it's exactly what a 17-year-old boy would say. They manage to also, like the way that they have him positioned is in the just very doughy, like soft, like, I don't know what I'm doing. So you just get on top kind of. It's a shallow missionary. (laughs) He does not know what penetration is. And doesn't know how to properly dick down. (laughs) Is it in, though? (laughs) Questions we've all asked. Um, (laughs) And other questions of like, oh, you think that's going in? (laughs) Which leads to one of my favorite lines from him, which is, again, I think Diablo Cody just understands teenagers' language. Oh, yeah. Her and um, Greta Gerwig understand how teenagers talk in a beautiful way. 
Is that a disagreement face or a... It is a disagreement face. It's okay. Um, and I will make it very short. Go. I feel as though as much as I love Ladybird, some of the nuances of the language feel like they're trying a lot harder. And That's part of her style. That's fair. And it's part of her style. And It's heightened. It's Wes Anderson. Which is really interesting because when she performs, like in Wiener Dog. I was going to say House of the Devil, but yes. It's not there. No. She understands it as a performer, but not a director. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating because I love her to death. <laughs> I'll actually give you that. I will say instead, I will retract that statement and I will go with Olivia Wilde and Bo Burnham. That's good. Olivia Wilde totally understands how to heighten teenager talk. And so does Bo Burnham. Although I've heard from various teenagers that they do not like Bo Burnham now, which is interesting. It's just interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's for us, not for them. He's not for you. Yeah. (laughs) He can write you, but he's not for you. You He's for us. You can have your other six foot tall blonde guy, like, fine. Who is questionably queer and definitely. I can't remember his name. Oh, I was actually just referencing Bo Burnham. I was oh. questionably queer. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm saying they He's have... on my list of people who I'm like, mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Would love to hang out with you and find out. Because there's no queer person who's not also a little bit of a detective. It's maybe a toxic part of the culture. Who knows? But I can say that I'm very interested in finding out <laughs> everybody. No, I, I, I agree to the to the toxicity and also the investigation of it as such (laughs) i just want to know i just want to know it's which harps back to the hand holding it does and it comes back to closeted culture of the mid-aughts it does because all that's what i'll say bless you gen z for never having to question whether or not your friends are gay (laughs) good for you I'm so proud of no. all of you. I'm so happy for all of you. You never have to deal with the trauma of trying to figure out if someone wants to kiss you or not. Or, no, they have the extra layer of the people being like, oh, yeah, I'll kiss you, but not knowing if they want to pursue a relationship with them. Ooh, that's your, so that's your trauma that you get to deal with. We had a little bit of that, but also the whole we had everyone's the, closeted. We had the went by sexual phase. <laughs> my words yeah. just Yeah, oh, not. my God, yeah, no. That, that, that was strange. Things being described as phases. Yes. Which this movie rebels against, and I love. Uh, that was a whole media like nightmare. Even oh even four years ago, that was still like a tentatively strange thing. Mila Kunis. Rachel Bilson. She's dating Bill Hader. She's gay. <laughs> <laughs> I would describe... The one thing I love about Bill Hader and Rachel I'm Bilson... I'm unfair. Is that... Bill Hader's great. I loved him in It... <laughs> He, I haven't reason. seen. I haven't seen part two He's yet. I can't bring myself. I could stand it. I can't bring only myself to watch I it. Only reason I could stand it. I couldn't stand it otherwise. I'm getting so loud, but like, oh god. No, no, no. Be loud. He he made it. He made it bearable. <laughs> he makes everything bearable. I'm not encouraging that movie. I'm not either, but I will encourage Stefan. It makes me so mad. Stefan makes me so happy. <laughs> and also, documentary now makes me so happy. Yes. Especially the Great Gardens episode. That is what Nicole and I are going for Halloween as. My dad's did it. I have a wonderful photo. Oh my god, I can't wait to see it. It's going to be fun because uh, Nicole's going to be a little lady and I'm going to be... Bi- or sorry, Nicole's going to be big lady and I'm going to be little lady. Which is to say, she's going to be Fred Armisen, I'm going to be Bill Hader. 
and I'm so excited. Um, but at the end of the episode where they're all bloody, nice. it's going to be so fun. Uh, Nicole has a fantastic wig, a fantastic hat, and a fantastic <laughs> muumuu that we're going to cut into a shirt afterwards. <laughs> you will see photos, don't worry. I'm so excited. We're going to be in a cabin next weekend, and I'm so stoked. I can't wait to get haunted. Uh, already am. There's ghosts in this room. They turn on my Xbox in the middle of the night. Do they come from the mirror? No, they come from the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to part one of our Jennifer's Body episode. Vic and I ended up recording for three hours, so I had to split it in two because the conversation was just too damn good. In case you want to follow Vic, you can find them at Major Tomorrow on all platforms. That is M-A-J-O-R underscore T-M-R-W. Please give them a follow. They are an incredible artist. So cool. Love their takes on everything. As always, you can find us at Horror Babes Pod on Twitter, at Horror Babes Podcast on Instagram, and at HorrorBabesPod.com. Please hit us up. Look forward to part two tomorrow. That's Saturday. Tomorrow, you are getting a bonus episode on Halloween itself. Well, I guess it's not even a bonus. It's really just me giving you the rest of what you needed. Anyway, enjoy. Thank you so much, babes, for listening to part one. Part two will be up tomorrow. We love you and bye.